Father, we come and we rejoice that we can come before you as a God that's over everything and yet you're close enough and you care enough about every single request. Every person here, it's not an accident that anyone is here. It's a divine appointment. And so uh, we lift up these requests. We especially think of Gene Bell and his family. And we pray, Lord, for this campaign, this going, as we pray for uh, the Frizzells this year. I pray for, uh, or this week rather, that we would pray too for this campaign and, and that you would form the, the team that you want and you would accomplish the things that you want, not only in Barbuda, but also in the hearts of those that go. And so, Father, we're here today expecting, receiving. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Uh, forgive us for not exploiting it more, for not utilizing it more. But Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and paves the way, opens the communication lines between us and you. What an amazing thing to be here together. And I pray you would speak to us regarding our jobs and that we would see them in a whole new light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hope you're... uh, applying good things from this God at Work series. And uh, it takes time, and you have to meditate on these things. You can't just come and listen and then walk away. you kind of got to meditate. And it puts value on every kind of job, even if you're a telemarketer. You know, I mean, there's just some jobs that you just kind of feel sorry for people, right? And uh, telemarketing might be one of them. Let me tell you this story. Uh, To make a long story short, I'm a telemarketer. And that's my job. And that's what I do. It's not a job everyone appreciates, but it's a job I enjoy and I'm proud of. The other day I called a house and a real nice lady answered the phone. She was really helpful and friendly. She was the type of lady that helps a telemarketer get through a long day. After some, Randy, you've been there, haven't you? And how often do they happen? Uh, Once in a while. Once in a long while. Well, after some pleasantries, I asked Mr. Smith if Mr. Smith was in. I'm sorry, she answered. I'm afraid he doesn't live here anymore. Now, that was a real disappointment, being that she was a nice lady and all, but I took it all in stride. I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am. Do you happen to have his new number? Sure thing, the woman cheerfully replied, listing off his new number. I hung up the phone and quickly called the new number and was surprised to hear a recording saying, Thank you for calling Green Acres Cemetery. All right. So sometimes jobs can be a little disillusioning, a little disappointing. We've been talking about that. And the bottom line is I've looked over this uh, series. Really what we tend to do is one of two things. And I hope you're getting this. We either over identify with our job or we under identify with our job. And sometimes because we're just really messed up people, we can do both at the same time. And uh, and so let's look a little bit, review where we've come. Look at your notes. It says, our work can never, never, ever give us what we really need or truly want. Whether that's satisfaction, significance, security, status, or I think uh, when Todd taught, he had P's like, uh, I don't know what they were, Todd, but they were all P's. I don't know, whatever they were. It doesn't matter what letter you use, and they don't have to be alliterated. The bottom line is, whatever you're looking for, it's never, ever going to come from your job. 
Only King Jesus can provide it. And the lesson that we learned is that we shouldn't make an idol. We shouldn't make an idol of our work. Why? Because our jobs make lousy gods. They make lousy gods. And the example that Todd gave in his lesson was the rich young ruler. So there was a good example. There's a biblical passage of a man who had made an idol of his work and his wealth and was not willing to give them up in order to get what he really needed from King Jesus. But then there's the second principle we've been learning in this series, and it's this. Our work deserves the very best that we have to give. Our work deserves the very best that we have to give because we are really working for the king. Because we are really working for the king. And so the the practical lesson is we shouldn't be what? Idle. We shouldn't be idle in our work. And we learned last week that work is not a four-letter word in the sense of something that's evil and should be avoided at all costs. And we consider the wicked, lazy, worthless servant in the parable of the talents. I didn't call him that. Jesus called him that, okay? And so you can look there. Now, as you look at those two, making an idol of our work and being idle in our work, it, the difference maker in each case is not so much what you do. It's not about your job. It's about what's going on in your heart, okay? So it's not where you work, it's not what you do, it's why you do it. It's not about what you do with your hands. It's about what you do with your heart. And, and probably the thing that I walked away last week learning the most of is that I can be a slacker even if I'm busy at work because I can be lazy in not worshiping the Lord through my work. My heart can be lazy even if my hands are busy. So stop right here where we're at. Even if you're you, if you're a first time guest or uh, here, just stop and ask yourself. Okay, based on what I've heard so far, am I more prone to make an idol of my job or to be idle in my job? Be thinking about that. That's the application. Which am I? Which? And, and we do both, and we can do both, but we tend to tend to uh, tend towards one or the other, and we can go through seasons of life where that differs. Okay, so in different seasons of life, uh, typically when we're younger, we tend to make an idol of our jobs. And as we get older, we can be idle in our jobs. We can lose our passion. Now, here's the good news. Jesus' work transforms our work into worship. Jesus' work transforms our work into worship. The gospel person of Jesus Christ and, and the work that he did for us in living a perfect life, dying as a perfect substitute, rising again and showing that his power and he, he can justify us, he can cleanse us. That work transforms our work into worship. And so here's what we should be doing. Rather, rather than idolizing and being idle or even being idealistic, we should identify with King Jesus in our work. We should identify with King Jesus in our work. We should worship while we work. Remember the old, uh, uh, was it, Snow White movie, Wh uh, Whistle While You Work? Well, we should be worshiping. Be worshiping while we work. Think of those little dwarfs and, 
go off to work worshiping. And here's the um, the individual I want you to think of, and we'll look at him here in a moment. Think of the runaway slave Onesimus in the little book of Philemon. And I won't go into that now because that'll be our illustration later in this lesson. But you know, one of the things in preparing the, this series that it really struck me was how many of the stories, the main characters in God's story, in the Gospels, in, in the Old Testament, that work is a vital part of these individuals' lives. You know, the rich young ruler, uh, that's his job. You know, you think of uh, uh, just all of them. Uh, you think of Rahab, uh, whose job was being a prostitute. You think of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. You think of the disciples, who were fishermen. And it's just really a lot of God, of Jesus' parables and a lot of God's story is intertwined with our work. And when we look at Onesimus in a moment, we're going to see that really everything that we've taught in this lesson can be exemplified in this slave's life. So here I have a quote for you. Being a Christian in the workplace means the truth of the gospel should work itself out in every detail of your life, including your job. And that's my that's been my burden, and that's been my passion for this series, is to help you work out the implications of the gospel for your job. And here's the good news this morning that we want to look at. You've been set free to work for the king. You have been set free to work for the king. And I just want to show you a little bit of what that is. And again, for some of you, this won't be new information. And you, you'll have a tendency to say, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. Let's move on to something new. But my challenge to you this morning is not just to know it with your head, but to engage it with your heart. Is this what you and me? Because it doesn't matter what we do for our vocation. Is this how we get up in the morning? Is this what we're thinking as we head to work? Because if you're like me, you, you head to work and you're thinking about what you got to do. And I have to be honest, I don't think this way. I certainly don't do it now. And this series is helping me to do that, and I hope it's helping you as well. So let's take a look at it. You've been set free to work for the king. That's the first thing I want you to know is that in you're a new creation job. You're a new creation with a new job. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're walking with Him through life, then you're a new creation with a new job. There's two verses that I have there with you. The classic verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come even at where? Even at work. Even at work. So look at your neighbor and say, even at work. Even at work. And, and then if they're not awake, kind of nudge them a little bit. Okay? So even at work. But I want you to read another verse. It's Revelation 21, 5. Here's what it says. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all, new, all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. Now, that's written at the end of the age. That's written when the kingdom has come. That's written as the new creation comes about. And so what you have is something that's true of you right now, 
and yet it's not fully complete until much later after Jesus comes. So you're a new creation right now, but you don't have a new creation environment. Your work environment has been made new, but you have been made new. Do you see the tension? You live in the now, not yet. Now you are a new creation, but not yet. Maybe your boss is not born again. Maybe, and definitely, your work environment is not new. And so you have this tension. I'm new. My job isn't new. And how do I live in that tension? And I'm going to help you with that. And here's three, here's, I believe, four ways to do that. First of all, as a new creation in Christ, you work for a new boss who is the king. You work for a new boss who is a king. Now, for all this, we're going to kind of use Colossians 3 as our main passage. So if you want to look at Colossians 3, you can turn there. Uh, and, and in fact, I want you to turn there because I want you to see in the Scriptures what we're learning. You need to be people of the book. And I don't care what form or, or what, what the, the carrier that you use, but I want you to look at it. So look at Colossians chapter 4, and in verse 24, Colossians 4, 24, it says these words, It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It is the Lord Christ. And when we're talking about Lord, we're talking about the King who is over everything. Oh, I'm sorry. Do what? Oh, chapter 3. I'm sorry. Chapter 3. Yes, please interrupt. Last week someone misunderstood me, Aaron, and he came and asked me afterwards. I'm like, oh no, raise your hand. If you don't understand something, raise your hand. Not every question can be answered in class, but if, if it's a major question. Right, Aaron? You got me. All right. So I'm sorry. It's Colossians 3. So, see, that's good. That tells me that uh, uh, she's looking, uh, looking up the book there. Who is over all. Okay? Over all. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, we just need to stop and let that, uh, let that soak in a little bit. He is our master. We are his slaves. That's the impact of that word Lord. He is our king. We are his subjects. And so, basically, you have a new chain of command. Now, at your job, most of you are, are, are in a job where there's probably a flow chart... And at some point, you, you probably, unless you work for yourself, you have this flow chart where somebody's over you. I don't care how they write it, but somebody's over you. But you got to understand that this goes way up here. And now that you are in Christ, you got a whole new flow chart. And the king is in charge. The king is over everything. You say, well, I work for myself because I, 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 like, I want to be my own boss. Uh, you don't get off that easy. So, okay, you're the you're everything in your company, you're your own thing. It's still the king is over. Okay? And that's good news. Amen? So you got a new chain of command. You have a new person you report to. You have a new person you have to answer to. And the good news is this person that you have to report to and answer to is for you, not against you. He gave his own son that you might be in relationship with him. In fact, you're related to the new boss. And you're a part of his family. 
You're His child. Now, we cannot serve two masters. The Bible teaches that. So you've got to get in your mind, I'm not, who am I going to serve? Because you can't serve your direct superior and the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to serve one or the other. You've got to serve one or the other. You cannot serve two masters. Listen to Matthew um, 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And you could just as easily say God and work. Or anything else for that matter. You simply can't. There has to be one who is over all. And as a new creation, you've got a new boss. And we need to be conscious of that. Now this is what's interesting. Is in Matthew 6.24, as soon as he says that, you cannot serve God and wealth. He says, verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, not for your body, as to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So, see, as soon as I say, hey, you got to serve one or the other, our first thought is, yeah, but listen, Monday's coming. i got to answer to this guy. So I'm going to set aside what you're saying. And he says, no, don't worry. Don't worry about how you're going to make ends meet. If you'll serve the king, as we're going to see in a moment, you'll do what you ought to do in regards to your boss and in regards to your work. But you've got to remember who you are working for, and you've got to remember who you're reporting to. I would say in the morning, we should all start out tomorrow and remember, who am I working for? I've got a new master, and he's the king. He's my king. He's my father. He's my brother in Christ. Christ is my brother, my older brother. That's who I'm working for. Number two, as a new creation in Christ, your new boss has given you a new assignment. You have a new assignment for the king. Whatever you got to do this week, whatever your job requirements are, you've got a new assignment as a new creation. Notice Colossians 3.22. So I got the chapter right there. Colossians 3.22. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are masters, who are your masters on earth. So in making, in recognizing you have a new boss doesn't mean you blow off the old boss. Okay? Obey your earthly masters in all things, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. There's your new assignment, fearing the Lord. Okay, that's the new assignment. Or to put it another way, let me ask you this. What is the organizing principle that you use to make sense out of your schedule and your responsibilities in life and at work? What's the organizing principle? How do you keep track of the mundane, routine things and those overwhelming, challenging things that are overwhelming and make you think, I can't do this? What's the organizing principle? Well, here's what your new boss, the king, here's what King Jesus says. In Matthew 22, in fact, I want you to turn there. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 22, 37 
through 39. Here is the organizing principle of your new boss. Here's your new assignment. Doesn't matter what job you have, doesn't matter who your boss is, doesn't matter if you're working for yourself, here it is. Let's, let's look at it together. Verse 37, and he said to him, this is Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is right there. Love the Lord your God in your present job. And love others on the job and through your job. There's your new assignment. Love. Love God. Again, how many of us get up each day as we head off for work, thinking about all the things we have to do, is, is at the top of your list. I've got to love God today with all my heart. I've got to love God with how I drive the bus, with how I teach, with how, how I plan, with how I engineer, with how I mother, with how, how I parent, with how I meet needs. I, I, I've got to love the Lord my God and I want to love people through this process. And I know it's not going to be easy, but I've got a new job. I've got a new boss that's going to help me out with it. Amen? You think that could revolutionize your attitude towards work? Do you think that might revolutionize how you're viewed at work? Let me ask you this. Do your employees or do your coworkers see you as a lover of God? and a lover of people. Is that how they view you? Is that how they think of you? And you might be saying again, because that practical nature, we live in a real world with real needs. I have to make ends meet. You don't understand the pressure I'm under. This is all nice, but I have to work in the real world. But wait a minute. Turn to Matthew 6. Go back to Matthew 6. That's kind of the key passage, the other key passage for this lesson. Matthew 6, verse 33. Remember, those objections you're not saying to me. I just happen to be teaching the lesson, but it's coming from the Word of God. Who, who are you saying those objections to? Your new boss, the king. Now, what would the king say to you? What will the king say to you? Well, here's what he'll say to you. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first. Listen to that. Seek first. There's the organizing principle. There's the priority on the job, no matter what job you have. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So let's break that down a little bit. First of all, what's it mean to seek first His kingdom? Kingdom represents God's rule on this earth. So seek first God ruling over you. So my first priority is to let God rule over me today. And obviously, as he rules over you, what is he going to want you to do? Love him and love others, because that's the first and second commandment of the king. So let him rule over all things and his righteousness. What's righteousness? Let me give you a very practical definition, a biblical one, a right relationship with God and others. 
So here's my priority at work. I'm going to let God rule over me today, regardless of what happens. I'm going to let God, I'm going to, I'm going to submit to Him. I'm going to surrender to Him. I'm going to stay under His authority. And I am going to seek to have a right relationship with Him and with others in my attitude and in my actions. Now, that is humanly impossible without the help of the king and without the king's spirit and without the king's word and really without being here with the king's people to learn these kind of things. But that's what he want. Now, all these things shall be added to you according to Matthew 6.33. Well, what are all these things? All the things that we need, that we earn money to provide. In the context, it's two things. Food, I need that. And clothing, I need that. I need a certain amount of shelter and a certain amount. And what I need is far less than what the American dream promises. Are you with me? So what I think I need or what I want is often very different than what the king has promised to provide. And that, that's hard for us to understand in America as Christians. But go to Nigeria where Christians are being martyred. Go to the Middle East. Go to China where they live underground. or not, They worship underground. They don't live underground. They worship underground. And you understand that God is faithful to this promise. I will keep you clothed. And I will, I, I will keep you fed. Don't worry about these things. Instead, you have a new assignment. As a new creation in Christ, you have a new assignment. You're at your present job to do this. Learn how to love God and learn how to love people better. It's a totally, it's a totally different attitude. Would you agree? Totally different attitude and mindset. It's not something that this boss is going to help you with. He's not going to send you to any conferences to help you with this, okay? He, and if he's unsaved, he, he, he won't even model this. And so it's not something that comes natural, but it's something that is your new assignment from the Lord. So here's what we need to do. Seek God's rule in the workplace by worshiping while you're working and through your working. Figure out how to do your job in a way that enables you to remain right with God, right with others, as well as helping others see what that looks like and enter into the same relationship. See, you want to work in a way, so here you are, here's you and I, we want to work in a way so that these other people can see, man, you're different. You're really, you're different. Not different, weird, like I don't like it, but different, weird, like I don't understand it, you're, you're working with a different purpose. You have a different attitude on the job. What makes the difference? And you say, oh, I have a new boss. And I have a new assignment. And that's how I'm working on the job. Now, here's some real, I think I have these, in, these questions in your notes. Because I think these are really powerful questions. Do people want what you are showing them at work? Do people want what you're showing them at work. Or to put it another way, does how you work on Monday make them thirsty, more thirsty, for more of the God you say you worship on Sunday? Wow, the way you work on Monday makes me thirsty to know more of the God that you say you worship 
on Sunday? And I would put forth to you, the answer will be yes, more times than not, if you are fulfilling your new assignment. Okay? Number three, as a new creation in Christ, you have a new confidence in the King. You have a new confidence in the King. And we're back to Colossians 3.23, and here's what it says. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Do it heartily. Do it with confidence. Do it with confidence. Now, here's another quote. So many of the problems we confront in the workplace boil down to issues of self-worth and confidence. Boy, is that true. In fact, you could put the family, you could put the church, it boils down to issues of self-identity and and issues of confidence. Now, when it comes to the workplace, it comes from trying to find our identity in our work. So we present someone with a project that we've worked hard on, and the boss doesn't like it, or the coworkers critique it, and we feel like they're critiquing who? Us. And yes, in a way they are. But when we have a new boss with a new assignment and a new identity as a new creation, it's okay because I'm secure in Christ. And I'm not my projects. Hey, here's my project, but I just want you to know, I'm not my project. So you're free to critique that puppy. You're free to analyze that. In fact, you can even give me my job review and I'm going to be secure in Christ because I know that ultimately I'm not even my job review. I'm not my pay scale. I'm not my retirement account. I am not your acceptance of me. That's not who I am. I'm a new creation. Amen? Does this make sense? It's not how we think a lot, is it? It's not how we respond a lot, but it's true. If you are in Christ, all things are new. So, such issues come from trying to identify, trying to find our identity in our work versus our identity in King Jesus and His glorious grace, His his performance for us, His righteousness to us, His unconditional love of us, His mercy and forgiveness poured out for us, and His resurrection power made available. That's what we want to identify with, which frees us. Now listen, when you and I identify with that... What it does is it frees us to do these things. Risk failure. I can risk failure because I'm secure in Him. I can handle criticism because I know it ultimately doesn't reflect how He accepts me. I can overcome betrayal on the job. And I can endure hostility on the job. Because I've got all these resources in this relationship of my true boss. So here's the personal question I have to ask, you need to ask. Where do you find confidence on on the job? Where do you find confidence on the job? Is it in your degrees? Is it in your training? Is it in your ability? Or is it in him? And what he has done and is doing and has yet to do. Who are you really working for tomorrow morning? Whose acceptance are you striving for? Whose are you on the job? Work heartily for the king. Because when you're working to please him, you know he already accepts you as you are, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. That's confidence. 
no matter what happens. Okay? Number number four, as a new creation in Christ, you have a new reward from the king. As a new creation in Christ, you have a new reward from the king. And this is Colossians 3.24. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Now, you know, really, this is, this is like a, this is like a divine x-ray of the heart regarding your job. What are you and I working for? You're going to go to work tomorrow. Why? What are you working for tomorrow? What are you working for? A check. That's probably the most basic answer. A check. What are you working for tomorrow? A 401k? A retirement home? Some people are working for their kids. I want them to have a better life. They're working for their grandkids. They're having to take care of it. Some of you would answer... You're what? You're working... You're working, yeah, and I was just going to say survival, right? Survival, you're working for survival. And some of us are working for that glorious American value of independence. I am working so that I can be independent from other people to do what I want, when I want, and where I want someday. What are you working for? What are you working for? I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Okay, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. And I'm certainly not saying you shouldn't ought to have that as part of what you're trying to work for. But here's the question. Here is the question. What happens if we fail to get what we're working for? What happens if you fail to get what you're working for? Because there's nobody in this room, no matter what you're working for, can guarantee getting what you work for. What are some of the things that can hinder or obstruct us from getting what we're working for? I came up with eight. Want to hear them? Economic failure. The economy could fail. And if you don't think that might happen very soon, then you're not aware of what is going on out there. We're in big trouble. It happened before. It'll happen again. And it may happen in our lifetime. What about if your health fails? What about if your health fails? What about if there's an unexpected accident that you're that disables you? And what if you're attacked by someone? What if war breaks out? You know, we are a country at war. What if that war escalates? The war of terror escalates. What if a fire, a tornado, a flood, or our government, a government takeover? I don't mean of a government taking over our government. I mean our government taking over your life, taking over your life, your bank account, your the things that you've worked for. What, a, what about a virus outbreak? What about a terrorist attack that cripples the economy and the American way of life? See, all these things can happen. Now, here's the good news. You're saying like, wow, I came for this. I, I can watch the news. I didn't come for it. Well, here's something that you won't hear on the news. If all those things happen, and you lost everything that you worked for, if you're working for the king, it will be a temporary loss, and you will have lost nothing 
of eternal value that you have worked for. See, if you're working for the things of eternity, those things are piling up, they're multiplying, they're they're earning a dividend that cannot be lost by any of those things I just said. And you know what? Some of you, some, some, some of us, can listen to that and think that's pie in the sky. And you come to church every week, and you, you would swear you believe the Bible is true. But it really takes a faith, an active faith, to say, you know what? What I'm working for is an eternal reward. And I'm doing these other things because the Lord wants me to be a good steward, and I, I'm a provider, and I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to do the best I can. But the bottom line is, I can't do enough. And I certainly can't protect it all. And I cannot prevent all the things that I just talked about. But what I can do is lay up with one who can protect it. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Now I want you to turn to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 tells you how secure that reward and inheritance is. So look at 1 Peter, look at 1 Peter 1. And let's look at verses 3 through 7. Look at verses 3 through 7. And I want you to think in this in terms of your job. Because it applies. Now notice what 1 Peter 1, 3 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, there's those resources, has caused us to be born again, there's the new creation, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what you want to identify with. That's your identity. But notice, to obtain an inheritance, same thing Paul was talking about, that's our reward. But listen, here's the inheritance. It's imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you imperishable, it won't rot, undefiled, it can't be taken, won't fade away, it will never be out of style, reserved in heaven for you. And notice, in this, or or, I'm I'm sorry, verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to reveal in the last time. Here's the good news. Not only is your reward protected, but you're protected. So, you can be disabled. You can suffer a, 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 a incurable disease. You can even die like Esther did this past week. And you are protected, and your reward's protected, and the two will be connected in a joyful, un, in, un, unexpressible, abundant joy. Notice verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though... Now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials at work. You can put that in there. At work. So that the proof of your faith... Remember, what are they seeing in you? So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, yes, disease, whatever, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder that in Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember I said it's not about what you do for a living, it's about why you do it. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? All right, so now you say, what's the practicality of that? I get off the tyranny of the treadmill. I can get off the tyranny of the treadmill. I can quit the rat race. You can quit. You can stop climbing the ladder of success. But you also don't have to disengage, drop off the grid, or become a slacker. You can stay engaged, give your job, your all, knowing that none of it's going to go unnoticed or unrewarded. You have a new boss, you got a new assignment, you got a new confidence, and you got a new reward. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And Colossians 3.25 also says, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that which out partiality. Because you say, yeah, but Chris, I'm still working for this boss, and I still got co-workers that are dishonest and trying to get ahead. I've still got a boss that's unjust. Who's going to make that right? The new boss is going to make it right. Nothing goes unnoticed. And, you know, it's, they say in the world, no good deed goes. Me, okay, and that happens in the workplace a lot, right? I mean, I do my best, right? And I, I don't get promoted, I get punished. Or someone else gets rewarded for the work that I did. I got a friend who has a daughter that's working for a boss who's taking all the credit and she's doing all the work. Well, who's going to make all that right? King Jesus is going to make that right because he's going to reward Nobody's going to go. So here's the good news. Working for King Jesus means no good deed goes unrewarded and no bad deed goes unpunished. He will take care of it. Now, how's that all work in our lives? Well, take a look at what it says in your notes. It says, working for the king really does change everything. Just ask the slave Onesimus and his master Philemon. Here's what I want you to do. Read the book of Philemon. It's a little letter. You can read it in five minutes. You can read it in five minutes. It's the story of a slave by the name of Onesimus who runs away from his master and goes to lose himself in Rome. He probably stole money. He, he was a slave who had, uh, that's the lowliest position in the Roman Empire. He had no future. He probably felt underappreciated, undervalued, unworthy, maybe even felt unwanted, whether that was true or not, he probably felt that way. And so he made a dash to find freedom and fulfillment in a new job and a new existence. I'm going to make myself free. I'm going to better myself. I'm going to run away. And he went to Rome and he encountered, and he may have even been thrown into jail, and that's where he met the Apostle Paul who was in chains. And the Apostle Paul shared with him how to find real fulfillment and how to truly be set free. He shared the gospel. And Onesimus became a new creation. And as a new creation, he repented of his sins and he returned to his old job. And his master was a man by the name of Philemon, who was a Christian, a new creation, and the master of the household. And more than likely, Philemon was also the pastor of the church that met in that house. And Onesimus is transformed because working for the king changes everything. And this man who was a runaway slave returned to re become a slave again. But now he's set free. Why? 
Because he's got a new boss. And he's got a new assignment. I'm going to love Philemon and his household. And he's got a new confidence. It doesn't matter what I do, even if I'm a slave, I'm a child of the king. And he's got a new reward that he's working for. And if you read through the book of Philemon, it transforms everything. So I kind of gave you a chart uh, where I worked out some of those principles of what we just taught. Just read that book of of Philemon and see what Onesimus was willing to do because he had a heart change. Here's what happened. Onesimus the slave had been set free to work for the king. And so look at the second point. In Christ, you have been set free to work for the king. Now, I just gave you those because I just thought it was cool. It was cool to think when I have a new 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 boss, when I have a new assignment, and when I have a new confidence and a new reward, I'm set free to do things in the workplace in a totally different way. So you can read through those and you can see what those are. But here's the point. You've been set free. You have been set free to work for the king. And you can enjoy your work no matter what. Even if no one notices what you do or rewards what you do, the king is watching and he will reward you. I've got a friend who gets a performance review every year at his job on a scale of one to four and his supervisor refuses to give him a four ever. So he knows every year, no matter how good a job I do, and he does deserve fours, he's never going to get a four. Now, that's how about de- you know how about a, how, how about to ensure you have a demotivating job and a joyless workplace? Refuse to give anybody a four, even when they deserve it. But here's the good news: he's not working for that supervisor. He's working for King Jesus, and King Jesus knows when he deserves the four, and he will reward him for the four. Okay. He will do that. So here's the question. Here's the question that you have in your notes. What will make you and your work stand out on the job? What will make you and your work stand out on the job? And the answer is this. Knowing who you're really working for. So here's, my, here's, here's, my, here's the main point of this lesson. You've been set free to work for the king. So work like it. Because working for him changes everything. And I would love to hear your emails. I would love to hear your response if you give this a try this week. And it may not be instant, and it may not happen immediately, but I would love to hear the change in your attitude that takes place this week. And in the weeks to come, the changes that the Lord can do in your workplace. Let's pray. Father, it's hard. It's hard working in a fallen world. It's hard working with lost people. It's hard working with the sin that I have in my own heart. But we've been set free. And like Onesimus, we're tempted to look for things in a new place, in a new job, and we tend to try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and and we try to work for our own independence and a better life. But like Onesimus, we learn, and I pray that we'll all learn, that it's only in Christ that we find what we really need. And it's only in Christ that we've been set free to work for you. So I pray that this week, beginning tomorrow morning, and maybe for some of us even this evening, 
we would go into work as new creations with a new boss. It's you, Lord. With a new confidence, it comes from you. With a new assignment to love you and to love others and to seek first your kingdom and righteousness. And Lord, looking for a new reward that cannot be taken away. Lord, you're generous. May we receive your generosity and share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.